True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for our next lesson in our series on the book of Ephesians. In today's lesson, we go in over Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 10. We're going to be looking at the first part in our two-part lesson on spiritual gifts. Today, Paul talks about and reminds us that unity is important within the body, and it's leading into how we should use our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. Today's lesson, we're going to be talking about the ascension, as well as the trinity, and some other really cool things. And we're going to remember and see that the application is that we should be diligent to preserve the unity within the body. Well, thanks again for joining us for this lesson. We hope that you enjoy. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, so you guys can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 3 through 10, and uh, then we're going to pray and we'll get started. It says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just also as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led captive a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. Now this expression, He ascended, what does it mean except that He also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is He Himself also, He who ascended far above the heavens, so that He might fill all things. Alright, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you and thank you for this day that you've given to us. Thank you for all that you've done for us, God. And just pray that um, as we look at Ephesians, that we would uh, do what it says and be diligent to preserve unity um, in the body, God. Um, just pray that that's what we do, God. We love you. Um, we pray all these things through Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so, past couple of weeks we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and we've been looking at things that... Uh, are for us to walk worthy as a body or as a, as a uh, church. How we can walk worthy, we, we had four things that we talked about uh, when talking about walking worthy of the calling. We talked about uh, preserving unity. Does anybody remember what those, any of those things are that we talked about, any of the character qualities that we talked about? Humility and gentleness were two of them, right? Humility and gentleness. We're going to have unity. We've got to be humble and we've got to be gentle. Does anybody remember what any of the other ones are? Millie? Patience. Yeah, patience. And it was patience, uh, generally speaking, patience, and then a tolerance for one another in love, or a patience specifically towards other people. And all those things really go back to verse 3, and the rest of what we're going to be talking about for the next couple weeks is going back to verse 3 here. Okay, verse 3 says, I'm going to read it again. It says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Saying, Be diligent to preserve unity. Okay, and that's going to promote peace. So first, before we really even get into uh, what we're talking about today, I wanted to go over uh, this word diligent. Okay, this word diligent, we've been doing extremes, so I thought I'd do it again for this. Uh, but being diligent, the definition you could say of that is just being uh, constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. Consistency in the performance of duty or uh, conduct of business. So it's basically being persistent in what you're doing or continuing. And I remember last week we talked a little bit about the beaver and how he was diligent. Okay, so slothfulness would be an extreme. 
or the opposite of diligence, okay, slothfulness. And it's really simple. The definition of slothfulness is just a lack of effort to accomplish what is undertaken. Okay, a lack of effort to accomplish what is undertaken. And then uh, the extreme of diligence would be uh, what you might call critical. It's discouraging others by micromanaging nuances that don't matter. So these three things, if we're talking about, last week we talked about tolerating people in love, right? We talked about letting love cover the offense. So if we were saying we need to be diligent to preserve unity, okay, being diligent to preserve unity when talking about tolerance, being diligent would be letting love cover offense. So if you're diligently trying to pursue, or or, sorry, to preserve unity, then you're going to be letting love cover the offense. If you're being slothful in preserving unity, then you might get easily angered. Okay, instead of letting love cover, you might get easily angered. Does that make sense? Uh, That would be a slothful effort of tolerating one another. And then uh, the third one being critical, that might be like... um, that might be like getting in an argument over somebody with someone because you don't think that they were tolerating someone in love. And so like you get an argument over over it with them and then like you're not promoting unity with them and it ends up it's just a it's just a mess because basically uh, you're micromanaging someone else or you're trying to be diligent for someone else uh, when you're not really supposed to be. Um, so something like that. So we're to be diligently preserving unity, okay? So be diligent. Think about that word diligence. And you're to be diligent, every single one of you, is to be diligent to preserve unity within this church okay, and within this youth group. Say okay? So Paul then goes on and he talks about uh, three things. Well, he talks about several things. We're going to look at three of them today. The first one is the Trinity. Okay, we're going to look at the Trinity. Okay, we're going to go through it quick and we're, gonna, we're just going to look at it. And this is verses 4 through 6. Okay, uh, Then we'll go on and we'll look at some other stuff as well. Um, and then we'll get to the gifts tomorrow. Or not tomorrow. <laughs> you guys won't be here tomorrow. We'll get to gifts next week. Okay. Uh, so the Trinity. Okay, This is verses 4 through 6. So I'm going to read them. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are also called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. So in this, Paul's talking about the Trinity. Okay. And why would he talk about the Trinity? And why would he talk about the Trinity? The Trinity is one, right? It's three in one. We can't explain it. We can't comprehend it. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is the ultimate example of unity, right? Because they're three in one. And uh, so Paul goes and he starts talking about uh, the Trinity. In verse 4, he talks about the Spirit and the, and the church, the body. In verse 5, he talks about Jesus, the Lord. And in verse 6, he talks about God the Father. Um, and I think through talking about all this, uh, his whole goal is unity as you look at it. Uh, and promoting unity and showing us that there's unity. God is unified, and we should be unified, and the body should be unified, and we should all be unified with God the Father. And so we'll look at it. Verse 4, okay, he starts talking, he says there's one body. Okay, there's one body. What's the one body? The body of Christ. The body of Christ, which is the church. The believers, right? The church. You're right. The believers. You're exactly right. So... Uh, he's saying there's one body, and you're right. It's not just uh, Gallon said it's believers. Okay, when we look at the body, okay, it's it's all believers. It's not just Stillwater Bible believers, right? It's every believer in the universe. It's called the universal church, is what some people call it. Okay, but that's everybody who's put their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. They are in the body, and um, sometimes we're not very good, uh, just in our culture, not us specifically, but we're not very good at uh, unifying being unified as a universal church. 
Okay, how many churches do you think there are in Stillwater? Yeah, there's tons. I mean, there's tons. Okay, uh, Gallon said 50. I don't think he's far off. Okay, I mean, it's it's insane. He says more than 50. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Okay, every, every time I look up how many churches are in a city, it blows my mind away. It's like, how can there be that many churches in one city? So culturally, we're not very good at this. Okay, and you know, back in the yeah. There's like five in your town? Yeah, and your town's pretty small, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of churches in everywhere, right? Um, and so sometimes culturally we're not very good at this, uh, and we, we tend to think that we need to be unified with like the people that are like us or the people that are like-minded or the people that think exactly like we do. But we're supposed to be unified as one big body, one universal body. That includes people overseas in other countries, uh, missionaries that are going on. I mean, that's that's all of us, right? We're supposed to be one body, um, and that's hard. That's hard for us, for me and you, especially, right? Because as much as I'd like Stillwater to have one church, I can't just make Stillwater have one church, right? It's like I just can't do that, and so that is hard. But I think this is also a call, as he says, one body. It's a call to unity in our local body. Okay, it's a call to unity within Stillwater Bible as well. Okay, we. We should be unified, and we've been talking about this for three weeks, but we should be unified as Stillwater Bible, okay? We need to be unified as a universal church, okay? And we're not, but we should be unified, and that should start here in our youth group, in our, um, our body, okay? So he says there's, there's one body, okay? There's not multiple bodies. There's not Catholic and Protestant. There's not all this. There's one body, and that's everybody who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's who it is. That's who's in the universal body. Okay, then he says there's one spirit. Well, why would he link the spirit with the body? Because he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. Okay, and who's inside every believer? The Holy Spirit, right? And then who gives gifts to the body, the one body? The Spirit, right? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the body. Uh, Christ, you could say Christ and God gave gifts to the body too, but it's because they're one. They're unified. Um, but the, the Holy Spirit empowers the body, meaning that the Holy Spirit gives the power to the church to do stuff, just like He gives the power for me and you uh, to walk correctly, to walk worthy, to live. Uh, Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So He gives the power. Uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us, gives the gifts. So He says there's one body and there's one Spirit. Okay, then he says you're also, uh, we're called in one hope of your calling. And this is kind of a transition into Christ. Um, but he goes back to the church being called um, one calling and one hope. What's the hope? What's the one hope that we have? Jesus. Without Jesus there is nothing. Right? Paul says it. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're, uh, we're to be shamed more than anybody. Like We're to be the most pitied, he says, I think is the word. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we have nothing. But He did. He did. And we're actually going to look at that a little bit uh, in verses 9 and 10. But there is one hope of our calling. That's for us, for the body. There's one hope, one goal. We have one calling, one goal. That's to be lights ambassadors for Christ. Okay, so we have one goal. We have one mind. We have, we're together. Okay, that, do you see the unity in all that in verse 4? You see the unity of the Spirit? How Spirit brings the body together, empowers the body so that we can go out and do what we're called to do with the hope that we're called to hope in. You guys see that? Okay, that's verse 4. That's the unity of the Spirit. Okay, then we get to the unity um, in verse 5, the unity of the Lord or the unity of Christ. 
Okay, there's one Lord. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the one Lord, right? Okay, there's one Lord, one faith. Okay, now the next two things, faith and baptism, okay, they can be a little strange. It can be a little strange thinking about it, but it all goes back to one Lord. There's one one Jesus, okay? Because uh, we've got to think about like this. Does um, is Jeremiah have faith that that chair is going to hold him up? Yes. Okay, because he's sitting in it. Probably. Okay, he probably does. Okay, and then uh, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ uh, for eternal life. Are those two different kinds of faith? Yeah. I mean, he has faith in that chair that's not going to save him, right? At least I hope not, right? Nobody thinks that in here, right? It may save him from falling, okay? Uh, but the faith doesn't even save him from falling, though. The chair saves him from falling. So, uh, uh, so there's, there's two different kinds of faith right there. So why does it say there's only one faith? Well, think about the object of the faith. There's only one faith that saves. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one faith because there's one saving faith. So he's talking about the gospel here. There's one gospel. There's one faith. There's one Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. So there's one. Okay? One in that. And, uh, JB just he's told me like two or three times in the past like week about a study that he just read. Um, and it says... I think the number was 60%, actually I know it was 60%, but 60% of people that were interviewed uh, who said that they believed in Jesus for eternal life. So they, they are professed Christians, okay, and they say they believe that, but 60% of those people said that they think there are multiple ways to heaven. They think that Buddha can save you, they think that Muhammad could save you, and they think that Jesus could save you. Those three, I think, were the three that they asked about. Okay, so 60% of people don't believe what Paul's saying right here. He says there's one faith. Okay, and it goes back to John 14, 6, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's only through Christ. He is one Lord. There's one faith. And then it says there's one baptism. Again, this is interesting. Are there, when you think of baptism, can you think of more than one baptism? Yeah. Yeah, you can. Can you think of two biblical baptisms? Prince shaking his head, yeah. Jillian, yeah. Okay, there's baptism by water and baptism of Holy Spirit, right? So there's two kind of baptisms just in the Bible. So how can you say there's one baptism? It's a little weird. Okay, one is baptism, like I said, with the Holy Spirit, where you're identified with the Holy Spirit and sealed, as we talked about earlier um, in Ephesians 1, but sealed by the Holy Spirit and identified through Christ in that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or you can wipe it on your sleeve. It doesn't matter. <laughs> All right, so there's one, there's one baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's one baptism with water. Uh, baptism with water uh, being identified with Christ publicly. Okay, the word baptism comes from this Greek word, bapto. Okay, it means to whelm, to cover holy, to dip, or to die. Okay, so basically it's being covered up so that you're seen, you're, it's not seen as it was. So like... If you dye something that was white red, it's now seen as red. So it's identified as red. It's seen as red. Um, and this is this is what this word baptism means. So there's one baptism doesn't mean that you can only be baptized in one baptistry. It doesn't mean that there's only one certain kind of baptism or whatever like that. Okay, Paul's talking again about the object of baptism. Okay, which goes back to what he said in the very start of verse five: one Lord. Okay, it's the object of baptism. Okay, the Holy Spirit, when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, guys, we're sealed. Okay? And sealed so that everybody knows that we are Christians. 
Okay, or we are Christ, we are God's. That seal, that shows Satan and all principalities and powers. That shows God who already knows, obviously. But it shows all them that we are His. We're identified with Christ through the Holy Spirit in that way. To the principalities and powers. Okay, I think to Satan. To, so if a demon comes and he sees the Holy Spirit in us, does he know that we are Christ? Yeah, he does. 100%. Okay? So that's that's something uh, interesting to think about. Like, when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, like, we're God's. We're His. We're Christ. Okay? We're identified with Christ through that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism with water. We're directly identified with Christ before other people. Right? So, Gatlin gets baptized in front of all us. We know that he is, places faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Right? So he's identified with Christ in that way. That's what baptism is. And so Paul here is saying, hey, there's one baptism. Why? Because both those go back to saying, you're, you're Jesus Christ. You've, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It's going back to one faith, one Lord. We're Christ. Um, so hopefully that makes sense to you. So there's one baptism, meaning there's one object of the baptism. Okay, And then he goes on in verse 6. Look at verse 6. He says, and there's one God and Father of all who works over, sorry, who is over all, and who is through all and in all. Now, God is the author of everything, right? And He's the creator of all things, right? So, Paul could be saying here that God is over everything, okay? Um, he's not saying, like, it's not like Eastern mysticism where he's saying, like, everything is God or anything like that, definitely. But he could be saying, like, God is the author of everything, okay? He's over everything. But when we look at it, he says He's the God and Father, of all, who is over all, and who is through all, and who is in all. So taking the context, okay, it really looks like he's talking about God is over all that we've just talked about. The body, the spirit, the Lord, the gospel, salvation, faith, the baptism, God is over all that, and he's in all of us. By way of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so he's through it all, he's in it all, he's the author of all, he's the father of all of us. Right, so when you're talking about the church, okay, and he's talking about uh, Christ and salvation and all that. God is the Father of all of it. Um, and I think that's what he's talking about here. He's over it all. He's through it all. And he's in it. And it's all by way of the Holy Spirit. So because He is one, He is in all, through all, with all, if that makes sense. And it's going back to unity. Okay, the end result and the end point of these verses is that the, the unity, or I mean, sorry, the Trinity is unified, right? And we should be unified as a body too. So basically... Think about it like this, okay? The Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that's in me and Gatlin. Yes. Okay, everybody say yes. Yes, Yes. okay. Is the same God that works everything in me and Gatlin? Right, yeah? Is it the same Jesus that died for me and Gatlin? Do we believe in the same Jesus? Uh, I didn't write this down, so I don't have it up here. But I think it's 2 Corinthians 12, 7. (coughs) Uh, it says there are varieties of gifts, okay, meaning gifts from the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. Varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all people. And it goes on to say that there's a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of us for the common good. But the point of that is there's one Spirit, one Lord, one Christ. And one God who works in all all things in all people. Okay, all that's one. So if all that's one, guys, and we're all divisive and not acting like one body, even at, just in our local Stillwater Bible, 
Okay, are we a good picture of who God is? Are we a good picture of how we're supposed to be? No, not at all. We need to be unified because God is unified. And it all and it all starts with Him and it's all going through Him. So let's just think about that. That's a trinity, okay, and the unity in that. Next we're going to look at the victor, okay, the victor. This is verse 7 and 8, okay, look at it in verse 7. It says, To each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, He led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Okay, and he gave gifts to men. Now, when we're talking about the victor, okay, Pike's been watching this Veggie Tale a lot recently. Okay, uh, it's the one on sharing the fennel frontier, veggies in space. But at the very beginning of it, there's this moon, okay, and these vegetables because it's Veggie Tales. Uh, they're fighting over this moon because on this moon is this mineral called me wantium and of course everybody wants me wantium right because me wantium right it's a veggie tales joke so everybody wants us me wantium and there's the, all these people fighting and then space fleet comes in and uh larry is the captain of the apple the uss apple pie and uh so space and that's part of space fleet so they come in and they defeat all the other veggies and they claim the moon under the law of to the victor goes the me wantium that's what he says and uh, the reason I share that is because when you win, you get the spoils, right? When you win, you get it, right? You get the, you get the spoils. Like, so if you're victorious in battle, you get the spoils. It's not the loser doesn't get the, battle, the, the spoils, right? Um, so the, the winner of the fight got the moon, okay? That's what this is talking about uh, when we're talking about the victor. And we're going to see that as we go through. Okay, first start at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So the grace or the gifts were getting uh, given according to the measure of Christ. These are spiritual gifts. Okay, this is what Warren Wearsby says about gifts. Okay, uh, specifically these gifts. Okay, gifts of the Spirit. Okay, it says that gifts are not toys to play with. Okay, they are tools uh, to build with. And if we are not use them in love, then they become weapons to fight with. Okay, so they're not tools or toys to play with, they're tools to build with. And here's the deal, sometimes we, we think about gifts as just like fun stuff that we get, okay? Uh, like toys to play with or whatever. And a lot of times they are materially, but spiritual gifts are not just toys to play with. They're things that we should be using to build up the body of Christ. That's why uh, Wearsby says that they're tools to build with, because we should be building up the body of Christ, unity. So if God's given... Um, somebody the gift of encouragement they should be using that gift of encouragement to build up the body of Christ if somebody if God the Holy Spirit has given somebody the gift of service they should be using that gift to serve other people in the body to build up the body of Christ that's what it should be used for their tools to be used okay does that make sense to you guys so each one of us grace or gifts were given according to the measure of Christ and then in verse 8 he says therefore it says, when he ascended, he being Christ on high, he led a captive, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this is kind of a weird little quote here, okay? but this is from Psalm 68. Okay, I think I have it on the screen for you so you don't have to turn there. No, I don't. Okay, so Psalm 68, you can turn there if you want. Uh, but Paul is quoting Psalm 68 here, specifically verse 18. Okay, it says this. It says, you have ascended on high, you have led captive your captives, you have received gifts among men, um, even among the rebellious. Okay, So, in Psalm 68, this whole psalm is talking about God 
being victorious. Okay, this whole song is psalm is talking about God being victorious and how um, mainly about the victorious, but how he gets the spoils, okay, and how he receives gifts right there, which is not what Paul says, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, and how he gives gifts. And look at if you look at verse twelve of Psalm sixty-eight. Um, it actually says that everybody's going to divide the spoil. That means the stuff they get for winning. They're going to divide the spoil. Uh, and so when we're looking at Paul's point in this psalm, okay, it's talking about God being victorious and getting all the stuff. Okay, And so his point, Paul's point, we're going to look at it a little more, but Paul's point is that Jesus, by dying and rising again, by ascending, okay, going to death, ascending, which we'll look at again, by doing that, he is victorious. And when he is the victor, when he is victorious, he will receive and give gifts. And that's why he can give us gifts. Okay, he can give us gifts because he's victorious. This is the point that Paul's making, that he, Jesus Christ, is victorious. He is the winner. Because of that, he can give gifts. If he didn't win, he couldn't give us gifts. He couldn't give us gifts. Think about it. Uh, Jesus, he's the victor, right, because he died and he rose again. Right? Did dying make him the victor? No, rising again. Did he die and rose again? He paid for all our sins, so he's the victor. And he received gifts like honor, glory, the church. He's the head over the church. He also gives gifts like spiritual gifts. Okay, this is a quote from Constable, uh, which I really like. He says, Josephus, in his Antiquities of the Jews, wrote many times that various royal people received and gave gifts to their friends, sometimes to express gratitude uh, and or to win favor. This was true, especially among royals in New Testament times. So he's saying that when people won battles, they got gifts, and then they gave gifts away. Okay, I think, Consul saying, I think, it is likely that Paul had this custom in mind when he wrote this verse. Christ both received gifts, praise, honor, okay, all that stuff, from many people for his defeat of Satan in the cross, or at the cross, and he gave gifts okay, um, to the church as the victor. So, Constable, what he's saying is, hey, Jesus wins. He gets the right to give gifts and receive gifts. And he does. He receives gifts and he gives gifts, uh, which is what he says uh, in verse 10, which we'll look at in a second. He sends far above the heavens. He receives gifts. Okay, He receives glory, praise, and honor from us. Hopefully, hopefully we're giving him praise, honor, and glory for defeating Satan at the cross, right? Um, so he receives gifts. And he gives gifts. And this is what he's talking about in verse 7 and 8. Christ is the winner. Okay? So he gives gifts. Okay? Paul's not misquoting Scripture here. Um, he's obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit um, and all that. But uh, he's not misquoting Scripture here. He's saying that Psalm 68, okay, God was the victor. And because of that, he had the right to give gifts. And Jesus is the victor. And he has the right to give gifts gifts. Okay, now in verse 9 and 10, okay, he talks about the ascension. We're going to go kind of into detail. Paul t explains verse 8. Okay, he goes on and he explains verse 8 for the next long time. He explains the ascension part of it, and then he explains the gave gifts part of it. And we're going to look at the gave gifts part of it next week. This week we're just going to look at the ascension and then we'll be done. Okay, verse 9, it says, now this expression, he ascended, what does that mean except he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended himself uh, also who ascended far above the heavens so he might fill all things. Okay, again, he's explaining the ascension here. He says the phrase, he, uh, the, the ascension. What does that mean except that he also descended? So 
Paul's saying, hey, he had to descend to us in. Okay, he had to descend to us in. And what he say? He descended into the lower parts of the earth. Okay, this means he, he died. Okay, he died, he descended. And then he actually went to the heart of the earth, okay, which we don't know where that is. But that's also called paradise. Okay, there's a place called paradise. Okay, Luke uh, 23, when the thief on the cross, when, Jesus, when he accepts Christ, okay, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. How could he be with him today in paradise? Because they were going to go, maybe not exactly together, but really close together. They were going to go to the heart of the earth, okay, where all the souls of mankind were who had believed in the coming Messiah. Okay, so he goes to the, wherever the heart of the earth is. He goes there, and then he leads them to God. Okay, so why were people not with God in the Old Testament when they died? They believed in the coming Messiah, so why weren't they with God? Because death wasn't defeated. Because death wasn't defeated. The sins weren't paid for. They can't be with God yet, right? But then Jesus died on the cross. He paid for the sins of the entire world. Then he could go down there and get them and bring them to God. That's pretty cool. So Paul's saying, hey, he went down there and he led captive the captives. So they were captive away from God or apart from God because sins weren't paid for yet. So they were captive apart from God. And now they're with God. They can be with Him. Okay, and that's a huge side note. That's a huge blessing for us. Okay, when we die, we get to go be with Jesus immediately because He's already paid for our sins. Okay, if I was Abraham, I'd have to sit in the heart of the earth, which is paradise, so it's super fun. Okay, right? But it's not as fun as being with Jesus, right? Uh, and so now I get to go be with Jesus exactly, right away. And that's, that's pretty cool. So Paul says, hey, he couldn't ascend unless he descended. So he descended into the earth, got those captives, and let them free. And then he ascended where? Not to his norm, not to just average level. Far above the heavens, so he might fill all things. Where is Jesus now? Yeah, more specifically? Sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, right? So he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, and everything has been or will be put under the feet of Christ. He has all authority. God has given Christ all authority. Okay, um, So he descended, he died, he went down, but then he also ascended. This ascension shows his victory. right? You can't lead the captives free if you don't win. right? Could he have led those souls out of uh, the heart of the earth if he didn't win? No. He couldn't. He had to defeat sin and death in order to lead those people out. He had to pay for sin in order to lead those people out. So he wins. Here's the the ascension. It shows the power, Christ's power over sin and death, and that he was victorious. Why does Paul want us to know that? There's a ton of good reasons for it. Okay, But right now, it's because if he didn't, he didn't have the authority to give us gifts. He didn't have the authority to be our head. He didn't have the authority to be who he is. Okay, He can give us gifts. Hey, I love... Uh, the worship that we had this morning, and we're almost done, guys. I know I'm going kind of long, but uh, the worship this morning, we had two songs that talked about how great God was, and then the next song talked about how God gives us strength, or Christ specifically gives us strength. And it was so cool this morning because I was just thinking about like how powerful God was for two songs. And I was thinking about how Christ gives me His power. And it's, that's a powerful thought. I'm using powerful a lot. That's a powerful thought. Okay? And the only reason he can do that is because he is victorious. He is the winner. Okay? He wins. It's over. 
and he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, and now we have his power, his gifts. He couldn't give those if he didn't win, guys. And he did win. He did win. Okay? So what's the impact for us, okay? What can we do? It goes back, it's super simple, and it's the same thing that we've been talking about for three weeks. It's preserve unity. Okay? It's preserve unity. Christ is victorious, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you think He wants us to be divisive and split apart and not working together and not using our gifts for good of the body? No. He wants us to use our gifts for the building up of the body, which is what we're talking about next week. Okay, next week, um, he explained, Paul explains the gifts part. Okay, and I'm not going to give it away. But he explains the gift part and says that we should be building up the body with the gifts. Okay, so are we doing that? Are we being diligent? Okay. Are we being diligent to preserve unity? Or do we not really care about unity? Do we not really care about it? Because we could say, oh, I don't really care that much about it. It doesn't really matter to me. If this church is unified, it's not really a big deal. If this youth group is unified, it doesn't really matter. Like, you could be slothful about it. Okay, but we need to be diligent to preserve the unity within the youth group, within the church. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. If you enjoyed this lesson, make sure you subscribe so you can hear the rest of the lessons on True to the Bible podcast. And if you have any questions regarding this lesson or any of the other lessons, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for joining us.